I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Over 10 days in 2013, Joanna Dennehy went on a sadistic killing spree. She murdered three men and left two others fighting for their lives. Joanne Dennehy, or Joanna, she is more commonly known, was born in Harpingdon, Hertfordshire. Her father, Kevin Dennehy, a security guard and mother, Kathleen, a shop manager, had two children. Their first daughter, Joanna, was born in August 1982, and the second Maria followed two years later. The sisters had a strong bond during childhood. They shared a bed and even made up their own secret language. Kathleen says her daughter Joanna was a sweet and compassionate child, and if she accidentally stepped on an insect or worm, she would be distraught. Her early years at school were happy and unremarkable. She was intelligent, had good grades, and was always polite. Her parents had high expectations for their daughter's future, hoping she would become a lawyer after attending university. They even paid for some extra tuition to help her with her studies. It was only when she entered her teens that her personality started to change. Playing truant from school was a regular occurrence, and she often found herself in trouble with the police. By the time Joanna was 14 years old, her parents found her to be uncontrollable and she started a relationship with a man six years her senior. Her mother and father didn't like her new boyfriend, and were concerned she wouldn't finish school. They pleaded with her to continue her education, but their repeated requests fell on deaf ears. Joanna left home at 15 to live with her boyfriend, John Trainer. 
Kathleen hoped her daughter would get this rebellious streak out of her system and then she would return home, but it wasn't meant to be. 17, Joanna and John had their first child. John recalls Joanna was devastated when she found out she was pregnant. He explained, she never wanted the kids. She always said she wanted it to just be me and her. We took a photo of her holding the baby. You could see in her face, she was not interested. Joanna started to drink heavily and began to harm herself with a razor blade. She tattooed a star on her right cheek and told her parents they would have to pay to see their granddaughter. The tipping point for John came when the daughter was three. A very drunken Joanna barged past the little girl, almost knocking her down the stairs. John left with his daughter and went to live with his mother, but reconciled with Joanna 18 months later. She had managed to stop drinking, and the couple tried to pick up where they left off. Three years later, after their second daughter was born, Joanna's drinking habits once again spiralled out of control. John claimed she started drinking strong lager for breakfast and said I tried everything to get her off booze and drugs and show her what she had sitting right in front of her, but she wouldn't even give the baby a cuddle or a kiss. Leaving home for days or weeks at a time, she would then return to John and her daughters begging for forgiveness. John said Joanna cheated on him with both men and women and she was verbally and physically abusive towards him after she had been drinking. The final straw came when Joanna returned home one evening with a knife concealed in her boot. She told John she felt like she could kill someone. Fearing for his family's safety, John left Joanna for good in 2009 and took the children with him. Joanna moved between a number of different properties in East Anglia and about this time her sister Maria returned from serving in Afghanistan. After a tour of Helmand in the army, Maria tried to contact her sister but Joanna made it clear she had no interest in having a relationship with her or any of her family. Joanna turned to petty crime and prostitution and served a short sentence for carrying a blade in a public place. In 2012, she had further brushes with the law, first receiving a community service order before being sentenced to 14 weeks in Peterborough Prison for theft. A community service order can be imposed instead of a custodial prison sentence, with the offender often carrying out unpaid work in the community. A short stint in prison meant her mental health was assessed. Joanna was diagnosed with psychopathic antisocial personality disorder, which manifests itself in anger, aggression, impulsivity and irresponsibility. Letting agent Kevin Lee owned a business called Quick Let, which rented homes to homeless and vulnerable people. Most of his properties were in the Orton Greyhay area of Peterborough, just over three miles from the centre of town. The local authorities would recommend Quick Let to people who were in urgent need of housing, but couldn't afford a standard rental or had poor credit history. Kevin Lee met Joanna Dennehy through Quick Let when she was released from prison and she needed somewhere to stay. She told Kevin that she had just served eight years inside for murdering her father because he raped her. The truth was she had served just 14 weeks in prison for theft. She added to a fictional past by saying she had also burnt two people in a house fire and ran over two more in a car. Kevin Lee found no reason to doubt her story as many ex-convicts stayed in his properties. He told his wife Christina that he just wanted to help her. 
He also saw the potential in having Joanna and her friend Gary Stretch, who was seven foot three, on his side to keep his other tenants in line or threaten those tenants who didn't pay their rent. The 47-year-old friend of Joanna's, formerly known as Gary Richards, was a father to three children and had changed his name by Depole in recognition of his stature as he suffered from gigantism. He had spent a considerable amount of time behind bars for burglary, though despite his size, was seen as a gentle giant by those that knew him. On March 29, 2013, Kevin arranged to meet Joanna at one of his rental properties. Despite being married, the police later uncovered that Kevin Lee was infatuated with Joanna and the pair had a sexual relationship. Kevin would let Joanna stay in her room rent-free, gave Joanna money to purchase a car, as well as buying her countless other gifts. He had met up with his best friend Dave Church an hour before going to see her. He told Dave that Joanna planned to dress him up and rape him. It wasn't the first time that Kevin Lee had described the extreme sexual activity that he and Joanna took part in, so Dave had no reason to be concerned. Kevin didn't return home that night, and his wife felt there was something wrong, as it was highly unusual for Kevin to stay out all night. His phone was switched off, and his wife spent a stressful night waiting up before reporting his disappearance to the police the next day. On the morning of March 30th, Martin Brunning, Detective Chief Inspector of the Major Crime Unit, arrived at his office. He received a rundown of all the active cases that were new that day. When he saw the disappearance of Kevin Lee, for some reason, maybe instinct, he felt it wasn't going to end well. He was right. Later that same day, Kevin's Ford Mondeo car was found burnt out in a field. Kevin's wife Christina knew this wasn't good news and she didn't have to wait more than 24 hours before police contacted her again, explaining a body had been discovered in a ditch near the A16 road at Nubra. The body had been staged in a humiliating position and dressed in a black sequin dress which had been pulled up above the man's waist, exposing his buttocks. Tears in the fabric correlated with five stab wounds to the chest. The blade had been plunged so deep they penetrated the victim's lungs and heart. The spot where the body was discovered wasn't visible from the road. No CCTV operated in the area and due to the isolated location, the prospect of any witnesses was unlikely. Once investigators were able to establish the body was that of Kevin Lee, they felt the best place to start was looking into his private life. Joanna Dennehy was under suspicion fairly quickly when Kevin's wife Christina was trying to find out where her husband was, so called the contacts on his phone. One of the numbers was Joanna's. The call placed her in the same area where the Ford Mondeo was found, so police went to pay Joanna a visit at her home. She wasn't there, but what police found was chilly. A blood-soaked mattress had been dumped, leant against a wall in the back garden. Forensic testing was carried out on the blood as a matter of urgency, and police were almost sure it would be a match for Kevin Lee. To their surprise, the results came back without it being a match, though the discovery ignited fears for another one of Joanna's associates. John Chapman, another quick-let tenant and a Royal Navy veteran, had also gone missing. It was paramount that Joanna and her friend Gary Stretch were found as quickly as possible. In an unusual move by authorities, they notified the press. Police were hopeful that the pair would be apprehended quickly, 
as their distinctive looks would make them stand out to members of the public. At seven foot three inches tall, Gary was easily recognisable, and the slim Joanna had a tattoo of a star underneath her eye. An officer in Norfolk saw the police report and identified the suspects. He had been called to a petrol station earlier where a couple had driven off without paying. The occupants of the car had pulled up at the petrol station and the female passenger went inside. CCTV footage shows Joanna Dennehy filling up a basket with biscuits and crisps. Relaxed, with a slight smile on her face, she left without paying for the goods and the couple drove off. Peterborough Police ran the license plate through the automatic number plate recognition database which made it possible to track the vehicle via traffic cameras on the motorway. The police didn't have to wait for long until the car was picked up, with the couple heading southwest on the M5 motorway. The pair were spotted on camera at a motorway service station. They walked in holding hands, and minutes later footage showed Joanna pacing outside the bathroom. While on the run, they committed crimes to sustain themselves, stealing food and other items they desired. They picked up a camera and used it to take photographs of each other. When the photographs were later discovered, they appeared to be a series of jovial tourist-like pictures of two people visiting attractions on a road trip. As the couple ran short of funds, they decided to sell some of the items they obtained in their robberies. They once again hit the road, this time to visit an old acquaintance of Gary's in Kingstone, Herefordshire. Mark Lloyd, a former petty thief, had crossed paths with Gary Stretch in prison. He hadn't met Joanna before, and he wasn't aware of what was going on in the news, so welcomed them into his home. He quickly realised his hospitality was a huge mistake. After entering his front room, he saw the table was covered in stolen items, computer tablets, cameras and mobile phones. Joanna looked at Mark, produced a knife and stated she had killed three people already, and wanted to kill more. Despite Gary Stretch's size, it was evident he was intimidated by Joanna. Seeing this, it was apparent to Mark that if he valued his life, he had to comply. Joanna told Mark he would be accompanying her to Hereford to sell the electronics to one of his contacts. Mark described the 45-minute drive from Kingstone to Hereford as horrific as she was drinking whiskey and getting increasingly aggressive. He recounted that she kept showing him the knife and ordering Gary to drive slowly. She randomly requested stops to take more bizarre tourist photographs, some of which she insisted Mark posed in. They needed cigarettes, so they stopped at a small local shop. Joanna entered the shop with Mark while Gary waited in the car. CCTV footage shows Mark entering with Joanna directly behind him. At the counter, it appears as though she gives Mark a quick bear hug from behind when in reality she was making him aware she still had a knife. She told him to just buy cigarettes. At that moment the till opened, and Mark was sure she was going to leap over the counter and steal the money. He was relieved when she oddly started flirting with the cashier, but her mood darkened the second she got back in the car. While holding the same knife she used to murder Kevin Lee, she discussed with Gary finding a random person to stab. Joanna told him she wanted her fun now, but no women or children. Gary obliged straight away, pointing out of the car window to a man walking his dog, and said, will he do? The man Gary had chosen was Robin Bereza, a 63-year-old retired firefighter. Robin survived and recounted the details of the senseless attack in court. After a car had pulled up alongside him, 
Robin explained. I felt a blow to my right shoulder. I turned around and saw this lady. She just stared straight through me. Robin, who was shaking as he gave evidence in court, described coming face to face with a woman intent on killing him. I saw the lady with that thing in her hands. I didn't know what it was, he said. I got worried, then frightened. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm hurting you. I'm going to fucking kill you. He said, I kicked her and made contact. It had no impact on her. She just came straight towards me. I ran into the road, put my hand in my jacket and saw all this blood. She tried to come for me again. I kicked her again. She still didn't react. The assault on Robin Bereza abruptly ended when Gary Stretch wildly gestured to Joanna to return to the car before speeding off. The attack was carried out in a public place at 3pm in broad daylight. Joanna's lust for blood hadn't been sated and she wanted another victim. Driving around for about five minutes, Gary pointed out another man walking his dog, 56-year-old John Rogers. He also survived his ordeal and lived to tell the jury in court about the horrific attack. He described walking on a cycle path when he felt a sudden punch to his back, which was Joanna's first knife blow. He told the court, I turned around and saw the woman who stabbed me just standing there. She started stabbing me in the chest. He asked Joanna, what's this all about? And she commented that he was bleeding, adding, I better do some more. John Rogers said he fell to the ground, but the attack continued as he drifted in and out of consciousness. As I lay there, I thought, this is where I'm going to die, he said. John was stabbed 40 times before he was discovered by passers-by and was rushed via air ambulance to a hospital for life-saving surgery. John spoke to the press in 2014. I was uh, walking the dog towards a cycle path uh, just down there. Um, I turned right into the, onto the cycle path, uh, which slopes initially when you get on it. And I suddenly felt what I thought was a really heavy punch in the small of my back. Um, and then I turned round. I thought it was probably one of my mates or neighbours messing about, you know. Um, and when I turned round, I saw this woman and she just kept stabbing me in the chest. And I got the dog with me. Um, and because it slopes down and the force of the blows, I was being pushed backwards all the time. So I let the dog go, thinking that he would run off, but he didn't. And then I fell backwards onto a grass verge, uh, which is just by the cycle path. Uh, she said something to the effect of, um, my boyfriend told me to do this. And um, she also said, oh, look, you're bleeding. I'd better do some more. And I think I said, oh, just leave me alone, please. Please leave me alone. But she didn't. She just carried on. Well, I couldn't really see much of her face, um, but she was very kind of, like I said in court, very t sort of matter-of-fact about it all. You know, she didn't, she didn't appear to be showing any emotion whatsoever, really. Um, and then when it did finally stop, 
um, I just thought, well, this is it. I'm, I'm going to die. Because there was loads and loads of blood. I, I'd like to um, um, praise the air ambulance crew um, that took me to the QE in Birmingham and also to all the, the consultant surgeons, the nurses. Um, I was in, in intensive care for about five days and they were just absolutely fantastic. It's changed my outlook a little bit in, in that, you know, I think, I think you've got to make everything of every day because you don't know you could wake up in the morning and get run down by a bus, you know, it's, you don't know what's around the corner. So I try to make the best of, of every day. Mark Lloyd witnessed both stabbings from the back seat of the car. He had thought Robin Bereza was dead, and he was almost certain the second victim, John Rogers, would be after such a ferocious attack. Joanna skipped back to the car with John's dog, got in the passenger seat and told Gary, that was nice. I need to do some more. As the car pulled away, Mark saw the second victim miraculously raise himself to his hands and knees. It later transpired that John Rogers managed to crawl a hundred yards to a footpath where he was discovered by a passerby. Mark Lloyd feared for his life as he could hear police sirens closing in from every side. He was convinced Joanna would get panicked and turn the knife on him. The car came to a stop and they were now surrounded by police officers. Still holding the murder weapon and showing no sign of emotion, Joanna Dennehy and her accomplices were finally arrested. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Scent Air comes in. 
With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. By the time Joanna was being checked in at the police station, she was jovial with an officer behind the desk remarking on his strict eyebrows and voiced her distaste at the regulation suicide prevention suits. She repeated it could be worse many times and tried flirting with the officers. In the footage captured at the police station, Joanna can be seen smiling, enjoying the attention. Shorts and massive. Yeah. Um, Paper suits. They are big shorts. Wrap them around with ties. I'm on side. Yeah. 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 Do you see the nature of the fence to either prove or disprove your So what are you going to give me afterwards? We've got some suitable clothing for you to wear, Joanne. Tracksuit, Kim's old. Could well be, and a sweatshirt. Hey, it's better than nothing, isn't it? Glamorous, that is. I'm in a suicide suit. You are at the moment. A suicide suit. Oh, did you get a tongue piercing? It's huge. Joanne, have you got a tongue piercing in? Need that out as well, please. This is amazing. Looks good. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. That might be so good. Okay. Real sexy. It's not a t-shirt, it's a tent. Joanne, signature from you that we've got your property. Right, so one white for attempted murder and murder. You've been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and murder. So going down for Sunday roads? Her parents were contacted and this was the first time they knew of Joanna's whereabouts in 10 years. Police informed them that Joanna had been involved in a serious crime. They were devastated by the news and later when they watched the footage of their daughter being booked in, they barely recognised her. The day after Joanna's arrest, the chief investigator Martin Brunning received a call telling him that a body of a male had been discovered northeast of Peterborough at Thorny Dyke. 
He believed the body was that of John Chapman, who shared a property with Joanna, where police had previously found the blood-soaked mattress. Detective Chief Inspector Brunning put the phone down, and almost immediately it rang again. The voice on the line inquired, Have you heard about the body found in Thorny Dyke? Brunning replied, Yes, I've just taken a call. The operator responded, There are two bodies in the ditch. The first of the two bodies to be identified, as suspected, was John Chapman. Though John was a heavy drinker, people were fond of him, and he was well known in the neighbourhood. John Chapman knew Joanna well, and it was speculated while they were sharing a house, a dispute broke out, and she attacked him while he laid in bed, stabbing him repeatedly in the chest. Afterwards, the blood-soaked mattress was disposed of in the garden, until it was discovered by police, who had come looking to question Joanna in relation to the murder of Kevin Lee a couple of days later. The second body found was identified as Lukasz Slabozewski, a 31-year-old Polish national. CCTV footage was unearthed showing his final known movements on March 19, 2013. He retrieved money from a cash point, then headed in the direction of Joanna's home. Lukasz was hoping to have sex with Joanna after they had a session of drinking and taking drugs. It's not known if Joanna had attacked him with a pocket knife as he arrived or when he was about to leave. Due to the amount of evidence obtained from the bathroom, it is thought this is where he lost his life. Blood splatter found in the living room indicated Lukash suffered a prolonged attack as deep knife wounds had penetrated his heart and chest. He had disappeared at least 10 days before John Chapman and Lukash was found to be Joanna's first murder victim. A couple of days after his death, she showed a 14-year-old girl his body, which had been callously stuffed into a wheelie bin not far from her home. Despite this, during a number of police interviews across a total of 14 hours, Joanna refused to answer any questions relating to the murders. Did you murder Lushkash Slavajewski? No, come Did you murder Kevin Lee? No, come Did you murder John Chapman? No, come Evidence mounted against her and a psychological assessment was carried out by a consultant forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Frank Farnham. In addition to a previous diagnosis of psychopathic antisocial personality disorder, Dr. Farnham concluded that Joanna also has paraphilia, sadomasochism. People with the condition experience sexual excitement from acts involving the infliction of pain, humiliation or bondage. A pre-trial hearing was arranged for November 18, 2013 at the Old Bailey in London. At the beginning of what the legal system thought would be a long battle, only 10 minutes into the hearing, after being read the indictments for the murders of Lukasz Slabozewski, John Chapman and Kevin Lee, and the two attempted murders of Robin Bereza and John Rogers, Joanna stood up and pled guilty. Detective Chief Inspector Brunning and Joanna's mother were stunned. Joanna craved attention and notoriety, so they were sure she was going to drag out the court case as long as possible to stay in the limelight. Three months after a guilty plea, she returned to the Old Bailey to be sentenced. In the sentencing remarks, the judge, Mr Justice Spencer, said, Joanne Dennehy, within the space of ten days at the end of March last year, you murdered three men in cold blood. Although you pleaded guilty, you have made it quite clear that you have no remorse for those murders. With the help of one or more of your co-defendants, you dumped the bodies of your three victims in the remote rural areas around Peterborough, hoping they would not be found. 
Only a matter of days later, you attempted to murder two more men, this time openly on the streets of Hereford. Victims chosen entirely at random, miraculously they survived. You claim to feel remorse for stabbing those two men nearly to death. I have no hesitation in rejecting that suggestion. You are a cruel, calculating, selfish and manipulative serial killer. Joanna smirked and mumbled when the judge handed down the sentence. Joanne Dennehy, for these three cruel and brutal murders, I sentence you to life imprisonment and the term you will serve is a whole life order. That reflects the seriousness not only of the three murders, but also the two attempted murders and the three offences of preventing the lawful burial of the bodies of your three victims. Joanna is the third woman in the UK to be sentenced to life in prison. The first was Myra Hindley and the second Rose West. Gary Stretch wasn't Joanna's only accomplice being sentenced. Two men, Leslie Layton and Robert Moore, were found to have assisted in the disposal of the three victims' bodies. Leslie Layton had taken a morbid souvenir, a photograph of the body of John Chapman, the morning after he was stabbed to death. Later that evening, he helped dispose of his corpse in the ditch at Thorny Dyke and assisted Joanna and Gary with attempting to clean up the crime scenes after the murders of John Chapman and Kevin Lee. Leslie Layton was also captured on CCTV, purchasing the petrol canister used to set Kevin Lee's car on fire. He claimed that he didn't leave the vehicle when Gary Stretch was disposing of the bodies. Leslie Layton was charged with perverting the course of justice, received 14 years in prison. Robert Moore had given Gary and Joanna a place to stay for two nights. He was fully aware the couple were wanted for murder. Robert Moore was also charged with perverting the course of justice and was handed a sentence of three years. No charges were brought against Mark Lloyd. For his part in the crimes, Gary Stretch was charged with three counts of preventing the lawful burial of a body. In addition, he was also charged with two attempted murders of Robin Bereza and John Rogers. The judge explained his reasoning behind Gary's sentence. Gary Stretch, for each of the offences of attempted murder, the sentence is life imprisonment. You will serve a minimum term of 19 years, that being one half of the determinant sentence which would otherwise have been appropriate. The effect of this sentence is that you will serve 19 years in prison before you are even eligible to be considered for parole. It will then be a matter for the parole board to decide if and when it's safe to release you. And if you are released, you will remain on license for the rest of your life. So where are we now? The families of Lukasz Slabazewski, John Chapman and Kevin Lee have been profoundly affected by the cruel murders of their loved ones. Lukash's family released a statement to the press. The sad news about Lukash's death shocked us all, as no one had ever thought such a tragic event would happen to our family. The last time he had visited us was in December. He was really thrilled with his new job. The last time he contacted us was in March, and his plans were to spend Easter with his sisters in London. Lukash was a sensitive person and was always eager to help others. Not only was he friendly to everyone, he always made everyone laugh. Our life will not be the same without him. We will truly miss him. We would all like to thank Cambridgeshire Police and the detectives that were involved for all their hard work and the amount of effort that has been put into this case. Joanna's second victim, John Chapman, was described in court as a kindly, harmless and inoffensive man who had served his country in the Royal Navy but had fallen on hard times through his weakness for alcohol. 
Darren Cray, brother-in-law to Joanna's third victim, Kevin Lee, spoke about his family's loss outside the court. As we try to come to terms with what has happened to Kevin, nothing is the same now. This tragedy has shaken our lives to the core and we are devastated about how Kevin's life came to an end. Christina married Kevin in 1996. Kevin was Christina's first relationship and she is devastated that Kevin has been taken away from us as a family. Initially, after discovering the circumstances of Kevin's death, she felt a lot of anger, but is slowly managing to deal with that. As a family, we feel an immense pressure to fill so many voids which no one could ever really replace. Kevin was so full of life, excitement and laughter that life is now very dull without him around. He was headstrong, intelligent, unique, and his charisma ensured that everyone he ever met would never forget him. A true one-off. We live every day with a devastating effect that this has had on our family. Joanna Dennehy has taken over our lives and has callously created a hole that cannot be filled. She tried to humiliate Kevin in a way that wasn't deserved. Kevin gave everyone a chance, no matter how vulnerable, which sadly led to him losing his life. I'm sure all of those people he helped will remember how much he helped them. His friends and family are, were absolutely blessed to know the true person he was and will remember him always and miss him each day. Robin Bereza, the first of the surviving victims, recovered from the attack but suffered more anguish when he had to look at the photographs of his injuries in court. John Rogers, who was the last of Joanna's victims, managed to survive being stabbed, though sadly John passed away one year after the attack. His cause of death is not thought to be linked to the assault. Some newspapers claimed that Gary Stretch had sent five love letters to Joanna while they were waiting to be sentenced. One of the letters read, You can always count on me no matter what, my devil in the flesh. I just wish I'd got the chance to really show you how much I loved you. I'm sad I never got the chance to make love to you, babe. I'm one of those men that didn't just want to fuck you since day one. Making love to you was my dream, and it will always be my dream, never to come true, Gary went on to add. My legal team think I will get straight sentence of around 12 to 18 years. Okay, Angel, I offer now. Hope to hear from you really soon. Always yours. Hugs and kisses from me to you. Love you. Love baby boy. An extract from the end of another letter read, I love you, Joanne, your personal undertaker. It is claimed that Joanna sent the letters to Gary Stretch's ex-partner, Julie Gibbons. Joanna said they proved Gary was not afraid of her. Joanna Dennehy's family want no further contact with her. Maria, her sister, spoke to the press in February 2014. Basically, I could never picture on, in my own head that she was capable of doing something so monstrous, I suppose. I don't think they had a lot in life, my parents, when they were growing up. So um, they made sure that me and Joanna had everything that they, they never had, like opportunities and stuff like that. So that's why they worked so much um, to give us everything. There was a girl that we, we loved and then turned into a monster. I don't think you can actually describe it any other way. And to be honest, I, I don't think I'd want to understand how a human being was capable of doing so much damage. And I hope that she never sees daylight again, ever. I'm just sorry. Um, sorry for what she's done. I have no right to talk to the victim's families. 
and I, I wish in a different life they'd understand the sorrow that my parents are going through for them. John Trainer, Joanna's ex-partner and father of her two children, spoke about how he thought her sentence was not enough. She's going to be top dog. She's going to rule the roost. She's not, she's not an idiot. She knows what she's done. That's not going to be punishment, sending her to prison for the rest of her natural life, is it? Because she's not bothered. So what would be appropriate? I can't answer that. I just think an eye for an eye, that's what I would say. What, if there was a death penalty? Possibly. An eye for an eye. You, you, that, but you can't murder three Joes, can you, and attempt to murder her twice more? It's the mother she of your kids as well. I think... I still stand by it. Joanna has been serving her sentence in HMP Bronzefield near Ashford in Surrey since 2014. In 2016, she was placed in solitary confinement after details of an escape plan were found in her cell. The plan, which listed two accomplices, described in detail how Joanna was going to kill a female guard, steal her keys and sever her fingers to unlock the biometric security system. Joanna filed a High Court damages claim and cited human rights violations for being kept in solitary confinement. Joanna's defence, Hugh Southey QC, argued that her incarceration violated her human rights and being in isolation for such a long period had taken a heavy toll, leaving her tearful and upset. He described his client as a vulnerable inmate due to a history of severe personality disorders. To further support his client, Hugh Southey said Joanna insisted that the alleged plot was nothing more than a doodle found in her diary. Jenny Richards QC acted on behalf of HMP Bronzefield. She described Joanna Dennehy as arguably the most dangerous female prisoner in custody that had a taste for killing and had admitted to a psychiatrist that she was sadistic. Mr Justice Singh ruled her segregation since September 2015 had been in accordance with law and at all material times had been necessary and proportionate. Joanna was denied compensation. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. More information can be found on our website at theywalkamonguspodcast.com Our podcast recommendation for this week is Court Junkie. It's a show we've mentioned here before and we're massive fans so we highly recommend that you check it out. Host Gillian delves into court documents, attends trials and interviews those close to the case to shine a light on the injustices of the American judicial system. Please stick around for a trailer at the end of this podcast. If you would like to support They Walk Among Us and receive early access to ad-free episodes along with other extras, just head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us. You can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under They Walk Among Us podcast. Imagine being accused of a horrible crime that you know you didn't commit. That's in episode one. 
Imagine your child's killer is still on the loose, but the authorities keep saying they don't suspect foul play. That's in episode four. Or imagine that you've spent 17 years in prison, only to then be fully exonerated due to advances in science. That's episode 10. My name is Jillian, and my podcast is Court Junkie, where I cover criminal trials and court cases and conduct interviews with those close to the case. Check out Court Junkie, available now, everywhere you listen to podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.